This is Philly Proper, Episode 2. Like, I'm sort of the engine for the ship, and I keep us moving really fast, and he makes sure the ship doesn't fall apart as we're moving. Because if I was alone, I would be crashed by now. And, you know, if he was alone, he would be... (laughs) moving along just a little little bit slower you know so we sort of have that partnership where one plus one equals three you're listening to the philly proper podcast meet the experts developing philadelphia's real estate market right now if you're looking for insights into the city's changing landscape you're in the right place stay tuned to hear the personal stories and experiences of developers large and small Be sure to join the Philly real estate community and visit phillyproper.com for project information, episode highlights, and more. Thanks for tuning into the show, everyone. I'm your host, Catherine Blessington, and today's guest is Andrew Yeager of Axe Philly. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, Catherine. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So Andrew is the co-founder of Axe Philly, which takes a community-oriented approach to purchasing and renovating single-family homes for sale in the two hundred to 500000 range in Philadelphia. Andrew, why don't you tell me how you got started in real estate? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so I'm partnered with Tyler Small, uh, and him and I kind of have a little bit of an unorthodox uh, start into real estate. It's kind of a funny story, but him and I met at Penn State. Um, you know, we were on the same floor in our freshman dorms. And we were both engineering majors, but we were constantly talking about how neither of us wanted to be engineers. So we were always sort of looking for some sort of business or something that we could start so that we wouldn't have to be engineers. And in the summer after our freshman year, uh, we're both from right around here. I'm from Delco. I, I went to uh, like Garner Valley High School. Ty went to Kennett. Um, so we were pretty close to each other on summer break. And um, we ended up getting started in a network marketing company. And long story short, um, we just took it full force and, and ended up building a pretty big organization. We had business in like all 50 states and like 20 different countries. And we ended up uh, focusing full time on that. And we dropped out of college, actually, uh, to pursue that full time. Um, but we made one of the classic mistakes that pretty much every young entrepreneur makes at the beginning of their career. You know, we had a business that was going really well, um, and we decided that we wanted to move to Miami, rent this big house, you know, on the water, and uh, the business sort of fell uh, fell down the list of our priorities. We ended up just basically spending all of our money and having to move <laughs> back home. Uh, but one of the things we spent our money on was we invested in a real estate project, um, but we did almost no due diligence, and we ended up partnering with somebody who was you know, looking back, probably not the best person to partner with. It was like the worst partnership in the best, best way possible. Um, (laughs) Because so at that time, we were we were done with the other business. And I was sort of taking some time off um, from from work, I was just kind of like reading books full time. And um, I, uh, you know, I had a massive amount of money, Ty had a bunch of money in this project. um, That was a real estate deal in Philadelphia. And to make a very long story short, um, the, the partnership was not going well. So we had to, you know, basically foreclose on the property and kick out the other partner. And we were left with this house with all of our money in it without any clue of how to actually flip the house and get our money back out of it. So, um, at that time, since I wasn't working on anything, we just sort of hit our networks and, you know, we reached out to anyone and everyone that we knew who could possibly 
um, help us help us out of this situation. And we ended up getting linked up with four guys who are you know pretty experienced developers in Philadelphia. They've been working here for you know 15, 20 years. And uh, these four guys just came together and they started their own wholesale company. So that was kind of a perfect way for me to integrate the skills that I already had, the sales skills that I had been building over the past you know three, four years in the other business and integrate that into real estate. So I basically approached them and just said, hey, look, guys, don't pay me unless you know, you're paying me a commission. Don't pay me unless I make you money. And in exchange, teach me how to flip this house so I can get my money out of it. And um, it ended up being just the best possible experience, the best possible learning experience that we could have had. About a month into working with them, Ty ended up um, joining as well. And we, uh, you know, we finished the flip on that house. We got our money out of that one. And we worked with them for about a year, just learning the ins and outs of acquiring properties off market. And, um, you know, and learned a ton about construction. So about, uh, I guess it was about a year into working with them and, you know, roughly two and a half years ago, we decided to start our own company. And, so let um, me, um, let me, yeah. let me backtrack just a little bit. Yeah. So it looks like you guys, you guys met in, you guys met in school when you were younger, dropped out of school, started a business together, made a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Took that money, went to Miami, partied. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then spent, made some smart decisions, spent a little bit of money in a real estate investment in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. which is a place that you guys were essentially from, right? If you're from Delco, you're basically from Philly, according to everybody outside of Philadelphia, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And uh, got into some hot water. <laughs> Had yeah, a little some, bit of some boiling water for sure. There you go, boiling water. <laughs> Had a little bit of time on your hands to sort of, what, add some sweat equity to a group that was in the real estate industry in Philadelphia already. Yeah, And exactly. were able to pull yourself out of the out of the mud that is the real estate world. Um, <laughs> I think everybody's fallen into some, some deep water in the city at some point, especially when you're new, especially when you're starting out. Right. Um, so how long, how long ago was all of this? What's the time frame for... For you know Miami, the initial uh, business that you started, and mm-hmm. you know when did you find yourself in hot water? Because I think the real estate market moves in cycles, so pointing right. out timing is uh, is interesting in the city. Yeah, no, for sure. So we started our first business. I guess it was back in 2012, I think, um, and we were we were running that business for about three years. Um, so that took us to about 2015, and. You know, in 2015, I that was the period where, you know, we were actually living in Westchester at the time, and I was sort of taking some time off from work to just decide what I wanted to get into next. Um, so it was about a year from like 2015 to 2016, uh, to like the end of 2016, that I was just kind of doing nothing. And then we really just got to a point where, you know, I had to step up to get our money out of this project because it was just constant you know, this guy hiring contractors, the contractor burning us, and then we would step in and fire the contractor. And then he would hire someone else. And, you know, the same thing just kind of kept happening. So yeah, and you know, that's, that's such a common story that I've I've heard, and that I've actually somewhat experienced on my own with with Mm -hmm. different partners that I've had. And something that I tell a lot of new investors, and especially folks who are you know, interested in getting into the Philadelphia market right out of the get-go is that mm-hmm. the barriers to entry don't seem high, but it's the actual processes that have a lot of barriers to entry based on who you know and what contractors you use. Right. That's a good way to put that. 
For sure. I mean, I think the contracting piece is, I mean, it's one of the most important, obviously, and it's one of the most difficult to actually hammer down. And the biggest lesson that we learned with that one is you do not want the cheapest guy. Like, I don't care who <laughs> he is, just don't hire the cheapest guy. Um, right. Because that's a mistake that we we made on that first project, for sure. Um, where but, uh, where was your first project located? Uh, Six and Mifflin. It's actually a beautiful house. It ended up coming out really well. It's 611 Mifflin Street. But we made about every mistake that you could in the book and we just weren't really doing any due diligence with it. Like we bought it for 145 grand in 2016, which at that time it was worth maybe 240 and it needed a mm-hmm. full renovation, you know? So it's just a horrible deal just straight from the start. Like it's maybe <laughs> worth 90. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so you overpaid, <laughs> overpaid. We had four different contractors on the job. We call that deal our tuition deal, you know, because that's where like, yep we ended up losing um, 20 grand on the deal. And that's just kind of what we say was our tuition because it was such an awesome learning experience. And still to this day, probably the hardest deal that we've ever had to just trudge our way through and and get through. Um, So like- Yeah, you paid your dues, Yeah, exactly. And like (laughs) no deal has been that hard since, you know? So if we could start our careers with that deal, we kind of felt like, all right, you know, let's, let's go full time in this. Let's put all of our energy and effort into it. And, you know, let's do this for real. And every deal since then has been, has been great. I mean, we've had, we've had some obvious, some, some hiccups, like the contractor piece has been a reoccurring theme, um, you know, but we've learned to mitigate our downside risk. So even when things go wrong, if we have, you know, one or two variables in a deal that don't turn out how we expected them to, we're still ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can so, I, I can talk about that later, too, and explain, you know, I guess how we do that. Yeah. Well, so I, what I was going to ask is these guys that you linked up with, mm-hmm. um, how did you find them? And, you know, what was their response to you coming in, you know, essentially new guy in a little bit of hot water, but, you know, had some mm-hmm. time to, to burn and to help out. Uh, how did you negotiate that relationship with them? And, and you know, what, how was that perceived? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like a lot of things in life, like it, it was just really good timing on all parts. Uh, we actually we met them because the deal that we bought, we bought from New West Acquisitions. Yep. Um, and the two, two of the guys that were that started this company came from new west so you know looking back like this horrible deal that we got involved with that was such a headache led us to these two guys who became you know huge mentors for us and introduced us to their other two partners who you know once again have been huge mentors to us throughout this whole process and really sort of you know ignited the the powder keg for us and allowed us to continue down this this path and and find some success along the way um but when I first met with them and started talking to them about their business and about this project that we needed to get through, basically, you know, I, I was just like, look, you guys are, are new with the wholesale company. I don't know anything about real estate, but I do know sales. You know, I do know people. We, in our last business, we had like 50,000 people come through our group. So full time, I was just constantly traveling from state to state, different countries and just talking to different people. Um, you know, I'm building sales teams in these different areas. So I was like, look, I have a skill set that I could add to your operation here. And, you know, I, I don't expect you guys to pay me anything until I prove myself, you know, so allow me to add value to the operation. And once I add value, then you guys, you know, can break off a piece of that and pay me from there. But in exchange, you know, during this 
interim time period here. Like I need to get my money out of this flip. So, you know, help me <laughs> meet some contractors, some good reputable guys and, um, you know, sort of just give me some guidance to get through this thing. Yeah, well, that definitely seems like a fair trade and a smart use of your time and energy. I think any any business, especially a newer business, if they can bring somebody in who's going to truly add value that doesn't cost them anything, mm-hmm. that helps them scale in to some capacity is uh, is a huge win-win. It was a really smart move on your part. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, it really ended up being a, a mutually beneficial situation for all of us. And I still have great relationships with those guys. And, and I'm super grateful for my time spent with them. Yeah. So can you can you share uh, who some of your mentors are or people that you're working with right now that have, you know, shaped the moves that you and Tyler are making at Axe? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, to be honest, I feel like him and I have been just blessed. Like we've found so much mentorship and so many different avenues from different people. And, you know, I, I kind of look at it as a, a mentor, like most people think about mentors, I feel like as like this one person who is exactly where you want to be and who can always kind of be on call and you're with them every day and they can teach you every step of the process. But, you know, in reality, I haven't really found that to be the case. I've sort of found it like, you know, a mentor is just someone who has more experience than you, who can teach you something based on experience, not theory. Um, and, you know, I, I've, you know, myself and Tyler have found mentorship through so many different avenues, even for just like small things. Like, you know, those first four guys that we started with, um, you know, uh, Will Cunningham, Anthony Freda, they taught me how to actually analyze deals. Greg Guzman taught me how to actually do acquisitions on deals. I got linked up with um, a guy from South Philly named Louis Farlow, who, you know, has been flipping houses for like 20 years. And he taught me a lot about construction. From there, when we started moving our business into the rental side of things, um, you know, we were linked up with Aaron and Brian Cohen. I don't know if you know those guys from Full Court. Um, I do. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we just kind of, I put a big focus in the beginning on building relationships and with the primary goal of those relationships be to just build close relationships with people without looking for like what we could get from them. And then in every conversation, we always offer like, Hey, you know, let us know if there's anything that we can do to help you guys or add value to your operation. And we've been able to build some strong relationships like Aaron and Brian, we're just good friends with them now. I mean, we just went to Vegas like uh, last year for Brian's 30th birthday so nice. when we were looking to get into the rental side of things, I mean, like there's no one better to learn from than, than those two guys. So, you know, we have been really fortunate to be linked up with them, you know, and they sort of gave us their blueprint. You know, now we're looking into multifamily stuff and we built relationships the past couple of years with, um, you know, Mike Stom and, and Brian Zubek, these guys that are sort of in this position where we want to be. And like I said, we've just been really, really blessed to be able to have relationships with these guys. and you know, they're so generous and open with their time that, you know, it's been an unbelievable help to us. You know, even, even yeah. like our accountant, Jake Cohen has been a crazy, you know, huge mentor for us. You know, our lawyers, Mike Adler, Alan Nockinson, um, you know, Rachel and Adam Pritzker have been just an amazing resource. Um, so I, I would say as far as mentorship for us, it's, it's really just been about building our network and creating relationships with just good people and, you know, and, and building from those relationships. Yeah, totally. You know, a lot of the folks that you mentioned are people that I am, have interviewed in other episodes on the nice. podcast. Sweet. And, you know, Philadelphia is 
I don't know if this is the best word to use, but I, I like to say that Philadelphia is a very incestuous city, no matter what industry you're in. Yeah. Uh, as big as Philadelphia is, if you're if you're within Philadelphia proper or mm-hmm. center city, you know, Fishtown to, to Mount Airy, uh, whatever industry you're in, you tend to associate with similar people, especially if you've been doing it for five years, 10 years, 15 years, et cetera. Um, and even, you know, just your neighbors. I think we have a this idea of like a 10 block radius mm-hmm. where you have everything that you need in your life within that, right. within that little bubble. So you get to meet and see the same people over and over again, regardless of how how big the city is so yeah um i've totally found that to be true as well in our experience and like there's so many good people here in the real estate industry that are just really generous with their time i mean like stom in particular has taught us so much about just analyzing these bigger multifamily deals now that we're starting to look at them and he's just like he's honestly one of the most competent people that i've ever met and he's just so efficient with how he lays out his development deals he understands he intimately understands each aspect and you know he's just so generous with his time and willing to share that knowledge with us you know and and i think that that rings true for a lot of people in the city yeah absolutely so let's uh let's talk about the numbers a little bit i know your first deal over in uh six and mifflin i guess that's Mm -hmm. what dickinson narrows area yeah that's 2015 that's right when it was starting to yep um, so how, what kind of numbers do you look at now, now that you know a little bit more now that you're like, Oh, okay, well we, you know, we spent too much money on the buy mm-hmm. for that property. <laughs> right. And a for lot sure. of, a lot of investors and developers, you know, when they're analyzing deals, they look at the purchase price and they say, well, this is where you're going to make your money because if you buy too high, then mm-hmm. your margins are going to be, you know, a little bit off. So what kind of numbers do you look at now when you're purchasing single family homes? Yeah, well, so I think for myself and Tyler, our experience has really kind of molded us into people who are like, I like to say like we're optimistically skeptical. So with every deal that we look at, we analyze it from like a worst possible case scenario perspective. You know, because we made that classic mistake that entrepreneurs make where, you know, when we're in a time of everything going well, we start to think that like we can't lose. So we just throw out these random investments hoping that they'll come back um and hope's just not really a, a good business strategy um, <laughs> you know, so, i agree yeah so um so right now when we analyze deals we look at everything through an extremely conservative lens like we count up we factor in all possible expenses and when we're ca- factoring what those expenses will be we uh, look at that from a conservative lens as well so Usually we end up doing a lot better than our pro formas, which is exactly what we're going for. You know, it's better than the alternative. Um, but our bread and butter is anything that is going to have an out sale between, I would say, two and a quarter to like 500,000. Um, and what we're looking for, we, I know you wanted to ask about this a little later on, but we finance a lot of our deals through private investors. And then we'll leverage that money from private investors on occasion with banks or hard money. And uh, our goal is for every dollar spent, like using that all in dollar figure, we want to be able to make at least 25% on a flip, which, you know, is, is a pretty good margin. But the reason why we have that margin isn't even to make as much money as possible. Like, that's great if we get it, but it's more so to hedge the downside risk. Like if, if we go over on construction, you know, or we have to fire a contractor midway through, that's inevitably going to come with. Um, with a, a, a budget overages, right? 
Um, Let's say that we run into a crazy situation like we're in right now. You know, I I just kind of don't see us coming out of this without some sort of recession or some sort of lag in, um, you know, in in the economy. So you have to expect that houses are going to be selling for less right now than they did six months ago. You know, so maybe we pro forma conservatively at 225 when there's a 240 right around the corner. So instead of using 240, we'll use 225. And then with that 225, we still expect a 25% return, right? So now that 225 could easily be 205. So if it's 205, we're not making a 25% return, but we should still be able to make, you know, 15, 18%. And in some cases where we got hit from both ends where our expenses are higher and then the sale price is lower, you know, if we have to buy our contractor um, plus the out sale is less, you know, now maybe that 15% goes to 5% right? But you're still not losing money. So we really focus a lot on the downside for each investment. And we make sure that the downside is still an attractive investment. Right. So when you're purchasing the property, you're going to be padding your expenses and, you know, not necessarily soft costs because those numbers you can control a bit more, Mm -hmm. but the hard costs for dealing with contractors and saying, okay, well, you know, if this contractor bails or something mm-hmm. happens that's unexpected and we've got to pull in somebody else, you know, what's our turnaround time look like for that? Yep. How does that affect our holding costs and or debt service? And then you, so you pack in as much as, as possible. I know most folks that I talk to and any, any deals that I look at, you're going to be adding at least 10% on top for all of right. your costs. Um, do you think that that's a good number to estimate with an additional 10% or it, based on the market, right now amid the the virus and the the turn in the economy and the potential um you know i don't want to call it fallout but it's obviously going to affect every 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 industry uh specifically real estate so do Mm -hmm. you think you're going to be padding those numbers a little bit more to you know to make up for that um so when when we run our pro formas uh we have a spreadsheet that we built out that just has basically all of the expenses that we can think of, like we factor in closing costs on the front end, you know, taxes, insurance, um, you know, builder's risk and title insurance, like a lot of these things that people kind of tend to leave out and they're really quick math in their head, uh, closing yep. costs on the back end, timeline of projects. So, you know, as we type in a longer timeline, the, um, the soft costs will uh, go up obviously. Um, and, rather than tacking on an extra percentage, what we'll do is we'll tack on an extra percentage for like the hard costs. So for instance, if our construction is a hundred, we might put in like 107.5 for our actual construction number or 110, 105, something in that range, just for, uh, we call it an oh shit factor. So you can bleep, bleep that out <laughs> if you have to, but that's, that's literally what it is on our pro forma. <laughs> um, I think that's a good tip. Everybody's got to have Yeah, one. exactly. Exactly. So we have that contingency, which is really just a percentage of our hard costs. But for the total project, we don't use a percentage. We just, I think it's, um, I think it's more accurate to just run three different scenarios. You know, so whenever we're analyzing a project, we'll look at the worst case scenario. We'll look at best case scenario. And then we'll look at like, all right, what do we think will happen with the deal? So your construction on the worst case scenario is you know, let's say we expect it to be 100, you know, our worst case scenario, it'll be 110. Right. And then our out sale, we expect it to sell for 250, we might put in 230, you know, on the worst case scenario, and we expect it the construction to take three months, but now construction's taking eight months, right. 
And mm-hmm. all of those factors tied in together, you can see where you land on a worst case scenario. And like, if we land at, you know, with all of those extremely conservative um, numbers, we land at like 10 or, you know, 15, 20, 15%, I would say somewhere in that range, like we're fine with that. Um, mm-hmm. We really want the middle analyzing, you know, that the worst case, best case, and then the middle, we want the middle to be at at least 25 and then the best case, you know, it'd be sweet if it hits like 40. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, right yeah, now. That's, to answer a, that's your, a hell of a return. Yeah, right. Uh, to answer your question, I, I think I kind of skipped over it. Right now, uh, with all of the uncertainty in the market, we definitely are a lot more conservative with how we're looking at deals. And But overall, I think it's, for real estate investors, I think it's an opportunity more than anything else if you play your cards right. You know, most of the developers I talk to all deal with these same, you know, wholesalers in the city who are kind of on the front lines Mm -hmm. of acquisitions. Do you find that you are doing your own acquisitions in house? Or maybe you could explain how you and Tyler break up responsibilities for what you guys are doing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we do uh, most of our acquisitions ourselves. Uh, The wholesale background really helped us out a lot with that because we learned how to go directly to the seller. Um, you know, and find these off market deals. Um, So we actually started with wholesaling, but neither Tyler nor myself really enjoys wholesaling. I kind of hate it actually, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just because you do all this work and it's like (laughs) messy work. It's kind of like grunt work. um, And then you end up without a property at the end of it, which is like the reason why we got into real estate, you know? So our our plan sort of was we wanted to build a rental portfolio, but we didn't have any money and we didn't know how we didn't have any expertise, right? So we kind of started with wholesaling that allowed us to put very little dollars out of pocket and to uh, learn how to do acquisitions and to start building up some cash in our reserves. Then we raised a little bit of money and we started doing flips to once again, learn how to do construction and get a little bit more cash in our reserves, all with the intention to eventually shift into um, rental properties where we could, we could start building a portfolio mm-hmm. for ourselves. So we're finally there. I mean, unfortunately we just started with that like six months ago. <laughs> so, you know, all this kind of is happening yep. now, but um, you know, the way that we look at it is better than six months from now. Like it was kind of the perfect time to start. So we only have two rental properties as it is right now. Um, but a, a few more in the pipeline. Um, and the way that, the way that nice. we split it up for ourselves, we see a big value add for ourselves as being able to do our own acquisitions. So, uh, you know, we don't have the wholesale fee tacked on or the, uh, you know, the realtor's commission when something is on the market, um, you know, so we can save six to 15 percent. I mean, God knows how much with, you know, wholesalers fees and stuff. So when we're direct to the seller, it just provides right. a, a really great opportunity for us to do the negotiating on our own. Um, you know, and really in those situations, you're just kind of looking for something that is good timing where somebody really wants to get rid of a property and their main goal is not to necessarily get the most amount of money, but their main goal is speed. And, um, you know, and, and we can pr- sort of provide them a solution to that, um, to that problem that they're having. And, you know, the way that we do our own acquisitions, like I alluded to earlier, we raised, um, you know, we raised some money from private investors and that money acts as cash. Like it's, we like it and we pay a little bit higher percentage than even hard money. A lot of times we pay, we pay 12% for our uh, investor money, but we do that because it allows us to be extremely agile in the buying market. We could call them up and just say, Hey, we have a property at one, two, three main street. We need, you know, 200 grand tomorrow. And tomorrow there'll be $200,000 in our bank. So it allows us to 
be really aggressive on the acquisition side and provide these sellers with just the ideal solution in their minds, the ones that want to get these deals done quick. And that's how we can save uh, some dollars on the acquisition side. So me and Ty, um, we are really good partners. Honestly, we wanted to stay partners in the next business venture after our first one failed uh, because we are so different. You know, I, I tend to be, we literally took a personality test actually. And, you know, I am uh, fast paced, people oriented. He's slow paced, task oriented. So. Which, uh, which uh, test did you guys oh, take? Because there's a ton of those Myers-Briggs. Yeah, Briggs exactly. Just... I mean, we took the disc one. My, my favorite test, honestly, was this. It breaks you into four categories uh, where it's slow paced, people oriented, slow paced, task oriented, fast paced, people oriented, fast paced, task oriented. And then each section has sort of qualities that go along with what your personality type is. So uh, I forget what it's called, but it, it, um, it ranks them by like animals or, or qualifies them by animals. So like the fast paced task oriented is a lion. Ah, uh, the bull, this, the yeah, tiger. This, this one was <laughs> lion, otter, beaver, and golden retriever <laughs> are, the, are the four. But, um, <laughs> I love it. But yeah, just to, okay. to give you a nice visual. But I am in. I don't think we're allowed to say tiger. Anymore. I think I'm the only person in the world that hasn't <laughs> seen the Tiger King, honestly. You know, I haven't. I haven't yeah. watched it either. Uh, for for folks for folks <laughs> listening at home, the uh, the Tiger Tiger Man on Netflix is number one, and everybody keeps talking about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid it like the plague <laughs> that we are currently yeah, experiencing. No, I, I think I'm like far enough along where I haven't watched it for a long enough period of time where now I can be like, all right, I don't have to watch it. I can get past it, you know? I agree. Yeah, avoid yeah. that. I'm with you. <laughs> um, but so, so with our, our tests, um, with, you know, with him, he was slow-paced, task-oriented. So those people tend to be very detail-oriented. They tend to ask a lot of questions, and they want to just make sure that everything is, um, is like stable and in line and everything is correct before you move from step one to step two, right? That's, that's where the focus is fast-paced people oriented like where i am you know they're very fast-paced not detail oriented at all tend to make a lot of mistakes but just kind of keep moving forward um so that's sort of how we split up the division in our company and it really kind of happened organically to be honest you know when we started the business we were both doing everything because there just wasn't we didn't have that much work to do where we had to split up and then by necessity we had to split up our different roles so now i'm focused on acquisitions um, you know, I do a lot of work with the uh, private investors, um, you know, making sure that we have like cash ready for all the acquisitions. And Ty is focused on the construction piece. Um, so we like just got our GC license and we're going to start doing it in house. We're just tired of the headaches with different contractors. Um, so so yeah. he focuses on that. And it's just it's the best possible division for us because I'm just I'm not good at making sure that everything is correct before moving on. I want to constantly be keep moving, keep moving on, but he's awesome with the construction and make sure that everything is where it needs to be. And, you know, he checks, double checks, triple checks to make sure that, you know, everything is, uh, is in place before we move to the next step. Like, I like to say that, like, I'm sort of the engine for the ship and I keep us moving really fast and he makes sure the ship doesn't fall apart as we're moving. Cause if I was alone, nice. I would be crashed by now. And, you know, if he was alone, he would be, <laughs> moving along just a little, little bit slower you know so we sort of have that partnership where one plus yeah. one equals three that's a really good balance to have in a partnership and it's extremely fortunate to find it i think mm-hmm. so early on right. in your career 
Um, it sounds, it sounds like your first business was even if you, you know, even if you blew all your money partying, party, partying Mm -hmm. in Miami, that it was, uh, you know, still somewhat successful. You guys learned a lot and were able to pivot into the real estate industry. Yeah. Fairly seamlessly, I'd, Mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, a lot of people spend four or five years in the trenches dealing with headache projects before they really take off so it sounds like you guys got it got a really good yeah for sure i I appreciate that um and and i would say we still deal with plenty of headaches but our uh our first business (laughs) it it taught us each a lot about ourselves and it taught us how to deal with you know adversity um because we had a ton of setbacks in that as well and we sort of just had this like golden realization where like the only way that you can really like fail or lose in something is if you quit so you know, for us to leave that business, it was a calculated decision that we didn't want to be involved in that anymore. And then with real estate now, um, you know, it's sort of the same scenario. Like we really enjoy real estate. I mean, we love the the industry and we see a future in it. So as long as we just don't quit and every single time we do experience, you know, some adversity or some, some challenges, we tend to look at problems more like a challenge where a challenge is something that is meant to be overcome. You know, it's something that you get past and a problem you know, it's like a, a, it's an issue. It's a bad thing, you know, but challenges are good things. Yeah. Well, it's, it sounds like you guys are innately entrepreneurs as, as somebody who has been, you know, me personally, I've been working for myself nice. since I was a kid, <laughs> hustling, mm-hmm. hustling, doing different things. Um, you know, I, I started like my own maid service oh, no when I was in high school. Uh, yeah, that's, that's for, yeah. for another episode. But um, but it sounds like you guys, you know, you have that drive in you. And and I know for me, that's something that is organic. Mm-hmm. I can't control it. And so what what's something that you think inspires you personally to keep moving forward and to keep um whether it's for real estate specifically Mm -hmm. or goals that you have for the future, like what really drives you to, to keep, keep going? Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's like an age old question that is like, you know, very difficult to answer (laughs) for sure. Um, but I would say, I don't know exactly like where the drive comes from. I've always definitely wanted to, um, to be, I wanted to have a lot of money, you know, as long as I can remember, honestly, I literally signed a contract when I was 12 with my mom. I told her the first car I'd buy for myself would be a Lamborghini and like my, my <laughs> tastes have changed, you know, but I've always sort of wanted, uh, you know, a, a comfortable life for myself. Um, and then when I was in college yeah. and we were studying engineering, uh, we had this, uh, this, this uh, one class that was just all about kind of what it's going to be like when you're an engineer. And I remember the one day we had somebody uh, come in who was an engineer with, you know, Boeing or Lockheed Martin or something like that. And he, you know, came into class and he told us about what he does on a daily basis and what his life looks like. And he just looked like the life was drained out of him. Like he, he wasn't enjoying himself. Yeah. And I kind of just had this big realization, like, what's the point? You know, if you're not going to enjoy what you're doing, you're not mm-hmm. enjoying your life. You know, that's not a very, um, it's not a very good trade off to make. So you know, we, I sort of, I guess, built this habit of where whenever I'm looking at potentially doing something, I kind of, I like to flash forward 10 years in the future and assume that I'm already a success at what, whatever that thing is. And if I want to be in that position, like if success with this thing looks good, then do it. If success with this thing looks like a position that I don't want to be in, then don't do it. 
you know? Um, so for us in real estate specifically, um, we looked at success 10 years down the line with this business and what that looks like. And it's just complete autonomy with your life, financial freedom, you know, but more importantly than financial freedom, it's time freedom where you can completely run your own schedule. And it was a position that I saw I would love to be in. So when I know success in something looks good, success creates an environment that I want to be in, then I know it's worth it to put in the time, you know, and, and now I'm just super passionate and Ty is as well about our business that we work on it every day, you know, even Saturdays and Sundays. I mean, yeah. I was telling you before we, uh, we live in the same apartment, you know, so we're like constantly yep. working. Our, before we had an office, our apartment was hilarious. Our, all the walls were whiteboards. We had no <laughs> kitchen table. We just had two desks that butted up next to each other. Like it was just ridiculous. We were living more in an office than an apartment building. But it's because we genuinely enjoy what we're doing. And there's something exciting about having a goal and progressing towards that goal. Yeah. You know, I think there's, uh, I think that, that statement of, life work balance being mm -hmm. blurred mm -hmm. a bit uh is is relevant for so many right. of us in the entrepreneurial world in the real estate world in particular because real estate mm -hmm. doesn't really sleep you know we I, we're often up at 11 12 right. 1 o'clock in the morning talking about deals because time is of the essence and you you know you have for to sure. get things done quickly um and that whole you know, kitchen, whiteboard <laughs> room situation uh, is extremely relevant. I, I've been in that situation numerous times. And I think, you know, that's, those are some of the most inspirational places mm -hmm. to be in. Uh, when I've walked into, you know, uh, like a, a house full of real estate brokers, or you go into like a real estate broker's house yeah. on a Saturday afternoon, and there's five guys sitting in there <laughs> all on computers, right, like, exactly. boiler room. <laughs> Um, but, but that's where this sort of like magic in, in business yeah. can happen because you're building something that's going to evolve and eventually sustain you for, you know, a very long time. It's like, um, there's a TV show, yeah. Silicon Valley, right? yeah. all the guys live in the house and they, they're constantly working. And even when they're just hanging right. out, show. it's always about work. Yeah, no, I agree. I yeah, think that's super relevant. So. I, I think it was um, Steve Jobs that said, he was like, yeah, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you better love what you do. Because if you don't, you'll never work at it for long enough and hard enough to be able to see success in it. And I think that's so true. I agree. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, so so tell me, I don't want to uh, I don't want to leave this conversation mm -hmm. just yet. But I, I want to know. Um, you guys are moving into the multifamily mm -hmm. space. You're going to get some holdings. It sounds like you have an, an idea of where you're going. Um, is there anything that you want to get into that you haven't yet in the real estate industry or any other industry? I know as an entrepreneur, it seems like you might have a lot of, uh, you know, aspirations for business. Yeah, in the future. for sure. Um, I mean, so when we started the, um, when we started the company, we said that we weren't going to work on anything else besides real estate for at least three years, right? That's kind of like the pact that we made with each other because we're both very entrepreneurial minded and we can get distracted easily. Um, you know, so right now we wanted to just yep. really hone in our focus and make sure that we got our company to a place where, you know, we were constantly growing and we could create systems and the systems could run the business rather than the people before we even looked at anything else. So we've really had the blinders on, I'd say for the past two mm -hmm. and a half years and, 
you know, I even think it'll be past three years, probably for at least the next 18 months. I can't imagine us really focusing too heavily on anything outside of the real estate space. Is there anything else that you want to be doing long term or any other business? Right. Yeah, um, might have? I mean, I would say within this space, we definitely want to shift to larger multifamily deals. Um, so right now, everything that we're currently working on is, uh, is single family deals. Um, and we've got eight of them going right now. And then in our pipeline, we've got three smaller multifamily deals. So they're all value add, you know, rehab plays uh, where they're single family houses that one of them are turning into a triplex, one of them are turning into a duplex and one's going to be a, uh, it's like a one story building right now. And we're going to turn it into a four unit commercial mixed use building. Um, so that's sort of the direction nice. that we would like to take the company. Um, into bigger and bigger multifamily stuff. And really where I see it ideally turning into is where we can um, buy already stabilized assets, um, increase the value, you know, decrease expenses and increase rents and, and revenue, do slight rehabs on the units um, to be able to add value to it and, uh, you know, start doing these bigger multifamily syndication deals. Um, and something that both myself and Tyler really enjoy with the industry is, the creativity that we could put into the actual rehab on the properties, you know, so we don't like to do like the just generic kind of cookie cutter houses. Like we actually enjoy doing the design work and uh, putting in a little bit extra something, you know, in, in, in each house and making each house different uh, and custom and unique. So ideally we see that growing into basically just a higher price point. You know, I would love someday to be doing million, $2 million rehabs, like in, in Rittenhouse, um, rather than the smaller stuff that we do. Mm -hmm. we, we tend to stay on the smaller side right now because it is, um, it's sure. just a lot less of a risk, you know, flat out because worst case we can yeah. always refinance and, and rent the property out, you know, and our rent can cover our, our mortgage. It's like, when you're when you're all in for 150 grand into a property that's worth 225, your worst case scenario is you rent it out at 1,300 dollars a month and you are making 100 dollars a month. You know, so um, right. so right now until we get going, we're we're definitely yeah, going mean, to stay in that in that level. But the the goal is to level up. I think that's a great position to be in, and obviously, you know, as a real estate agent, I've seen the properties that you mm -hmm. guys have done. Uh, and the renovation work and the, and the attention to detail in design that you guys have is oh, phenomenal, especially in a sea. Yeah. Especially in a sea of uh, mm -hmm. renovations. I mean, Philadelphia has been undergoing a, a boom in real estate and that includes renovating these row homes throughout the entire city right. that have deferred maintenance and, and, you know, Maybe they've updated mechanicals along the way as codes have changed, but, you know, still have shack carpets <laughs> yeah. and linoleum flooring in the kitchen and things like that. Uh, and you guys always seem to add special touches, whether it's accent walls or tile that's really mm -hmm. trending right now or lighting fixtures that are just, um, you know, really on par. And I think that's uh, something to be commended on because a lot of builders mm -hmm. in particular are in it are in it for the money and in it for the, the industry passion, which, which I definitely have. And right. I can see that you do too, but to have, have an insight into what your audience and consumer really wants and to be passionate about the product that you're delivering is huge too. So um, congrats on that. I think that you're well on your way to doing million dollar renovations. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Honestly, like for us, the, 
secret to it is just that we enjoy it. You know, it's like, it's genuinely fun to be able to spend a ton of money renovating a property, like knowing that it's an investment, you know, like if you're renovating your house, everyone loves to, yep. to do that or watch these house shows. Um, but when you can actually spend a ton of money, knowing that it's coming back in an investment, it's just a lot of fun to go shopping for these things. Well, uh, is there, is there anything else that you want to touch on before we, um, before we close um, out? I would say that we're always looking to network with people as much as we can. Um, you know, so if, if I haven't networked with you yet and you're listening to this, please don't hesitate to reach out. You know, our Instagram's axphilly, A-X-E-P-H-I-L-L-Y. My name's Andrew Yeager. Tyler Small is my partner. Feel free to reach out to either one of us. And we would love to, you know, uh, meet up for lunch, grab a cup of coffee when we're allowed to leave our houses again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that for us, we've been able to see, um, a, a lot of success because we've been able to build really good relationships and we're always looking to add to those. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. This has been uh, wonderful and I look forward to seeing your next project and watching Axe Philly grow into, you know, a large multifamily Love it. Yeah, thank you, Catherine. Absolutely. I, it was a pleasure to speak with you for the past, you know, 45 minutes or so. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I told you this before, but I'm loving this idea that you have, uh, with this, with this podcast. I'm excited to listen to the other episodes. I'm, I'll look forward to actually sitting down with you in person. Then when all this is done, I'll, I'll stop by the office. Yeah, please do. I look forward to it as well. And, um, hopefully we can, you know, grab yeah. a drink and, and <laughs> yeah, laugh no, about absolutely. our quarantine. Yeah. When you, when you interview Zubek too, so I say hello, he's one of my favorite people. I awesome. definitely awesome. will. Thanks right. Andrew. I'll talk to you day. really soon. To contact Andrew directly, be sure to follow Axe Philly on Instagram or visit their website, axephilly.com. For more information on all the projects mentioned on the podcast, be sure to visit our website at phillyproper.com. Till next time, I'm your host, Catherine Blessington, and thanks for listening to Philly Proper.